This is BTS with CTV, behind the scenes, behind the stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver newsroom. My name is Penny Daflos, and I'll be your guide behind the curtain to stories that tug at the heartstrings but are very difficult and complicated from a journalism perspective. If I don't address the help that she needs and I get hit by a car or die tomorrow, she'll be homeless. I have no doubt in my mind that she will be on the street. They are the stories around health and medical issues patients and their families say are being unmet by our medical system. What Sean's going through is unimaginable. Um, I mean, I think he's an incredibly brave guy that remains very optimistic and hopeful. There's a few of us that could uh, endure what he's endured. There are a couple of recent examples of these stories, like Sean Taggart in Powell River in the final stages of ALS at just 40 years old and fighting to stay alive for his young son. They admit that he requires 24-hour-a-day care, but they're just unwilling to fund it. Sean says he's frustrated to the point where he says he may end what's left of his life live on social media. I get why a person goes there. I absolutely do. When all you can see in your future is more suffering. Another example, a young Langley woman whose family says her needs aren't being met. They're monitoring my seizures. The 22-year-old has dozens of seizures a day and they're getting worse. She recently fell and broke her jaw. I feel like I'm beating my head against a wall, um, begging desperately for help, and I'm constantly met with, there's nothing we can do. The Epilepsy Society of BC has taken up her case, saying it's a complex and extreme example that needs special consideration. This province has an obligation to respond to this family's needs um, in a meaningful way, include them in the decision making um, to keep a child at home. I'd like to welcome our managing editor, Ethan Faber, back to the podcast. Thank you so much. Good to be here. This is one of those topics that... I think we've kind of skirted around it in past podcasts, but medical issues and how we cover them is actually really complicated. And we've just had a couple of examples in the last um, week or so here that I thought would be really great for us to engage with this topic because these are two stories that I think tug on the heartstrings. One is a young girl with complex medical needs. The other is a guy, I think he's young, 40 years old, facing ALS, living in, it's been called a glass coffin, mind intact, and your body has failed you. So I think this is a really good example of stories that tug on the heartstrings that I think anybody engaging with these subjects can't help but feel something. But then we have to be careful as journalists how we cover those topics because they do make us feel something too. And so we have to be really cautious about how we approach the subject matter. Yeah, I I sometimes feel like we're deciding sort of whose case to take on, you know, because we hear from a lot of people with medical problems and they often write us or they call us and they're emotional and obviously for them it's sometimes literally life or death. But deciding which stories to cover is a really tricky process and I'm not sure we always get it right because it's not enough just to say, well, this sounds like it's a sad situation or this sounds really stressful for you. The question for us is when does that become news? Because we're not an advocacy association other than I like to say we advocate for the truth. You know, we advocate for the public's right to know what's happening with its institutions and where it's 
public's tax dollars are going. Um, but are we going to fill the newscast with just a, an endless series of hard luck stories? Because there are so many hard luck stories. When I used to be on the assignment desk, I would get a lot of calls from people who were having issues with the medical system. And sometimes I would say to them in a sympathetic way, you know, this is a situation where it sucks to be you, but it's not news. And so that's the great question that we're always wrestling with. It's not enough that um, it's very difficult for you right now because you're facing a health problem. The question for us is when does it become relevant to the audience and when does it raise an issue that we want to explore? And that's sort of the test, but it still feels slightly um, wishy-washy, sort of what is our what are our criteria for choosing a health story? And for me, it, it, it's what what issue does this raise? And is it, in our opinion, a clear-cut case of something that feels like an injustice? Because we are drawn to injustice and telling stories of injustice, but sometimes it's just a differing group of opinions between the patient and the family and the medical system. And in that case, when it's just he said, she said, I tend to shy away. So it's a difficult process picking which health stories to cover. That being said, I hate shying away from something just because it's complicated and because we really have to think about how to tackle this. To me, that makes me want to cover it even more because it's not easy. And and we do tend to say, okay, let them see if they can navigate through the system, which is what everybody has to do. And how do you choose who to highlight, which often gets them help. And further complicating all of this is you want to be balanced in your story so you approach the health authority or the doctor, whoever's involved that somebody has a problem with, and you want to have a discussion with them. Um, in, in the case of Tavia Marlat, I approached Fraser Health and I said, I'd really like to talk about funding for this girl and, and supports for her because here's another issue. We've, we've come across it before. Until she was 19 years old, she was in school. She had supervised care while she was at school so her mother can work. The, the family was functioning. After that, she runs out, she, she ages out of the system. And Fraser Health did not want to discuss her issue at all. They said privacy rules precluded them from doing that. They refused to go on camera. Whereas in the ALS story with Sean Taggart, um, I asked Coastal Health about it. Again, they refused to go on camera. But in this case, they talked to very specifically about his case. So even within um, the, the um, government healthcare system, there's not a consistency in how they handle things. Sometimes they say privacy a lot, not going to say any specifics, and other times they are very specific. But still, there's no two-way conversation. It's here's a statement. You can ask a couple follow-up questions. They may answer, they may not via email, but we're really locked out of having a conversation, really challenging someone about public policy on really important issues. Yeah, and when you said that you don't want to shy away from a story just because it's complicated, I agree. But I do shy away from stories that aren't balanced. And stories, and so do you. I don't want a story where I don't know the other side. And that's the problem with what you're talking about now, which is the whole privacy issue that a lot of... Um, spokespeople for public health authorities will pull that out and say it's private, we can't discuss it. Well, maybe they're doing that to try to kill the story. Maybe they're doing it because that really is their policy. But it, it does tie our hands sometimes because I need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that something is an injustice before we're going to start um, offering our platform to get into that. So we do tend to go for the more black and white health stories where it's just demonstrably wrong what's happening to somebody, you know, and, and, and when it's a little more ambiguous, 
like someone has a different medical opinion about a drug, but a lot of other medical opinion says that this drug is experimental and not likely to succeed in curing your illness. But somebody comes to the media and says, well, I want to try this experimental pill. And I'm not making this up. We've had stories where people will say, I want to try this experimental pill. And this, the pill costs thousands and thousands of dollars per pill. And so in that situation, Maybe somebody says, well, look, I found this study or I have a doctor down in the States who says this pill shows some promise. But up here, the medical authorities have gone through the research and they've decided it's not effective enough to devote public money towards. So that's another situation that we're navigating, which is, sure, wouldn't it be wonderful if every experimental treatment was available to everyone? If platinum quality care and home care and support care was available to everyone, but we know it's not. And so we also, as journalists, have to realize that these stories have to fit into the context of a public health system that, by definition, has to prioritize who gets treatment first and, by definition, makes people wait if they're not as acute as someone else in the system. That's public health. That's the great Canadian healthcare experiment. So we also have to be careful not to say, wow, wouldn't it be nice if that $10,000 pill was paid for by the taxpayers so this person would have maybe a 1% better chance of surviving their illness? Was that a news story? Do we want to go in there and grill the health minister when you realize that the health care budget takes far and away more than any other ministry in the in the provincial budget and there's only a finite number of tax dollars? So we have to start asking those questions. So, yeah, it's complicated, but sometimes it's also um, not balanced by definition, and sometimes it's also just not responsible to start suggesting through coverage that every case deserves the greatest and most expensive treatment, even if it's experimental. So that's also where it gets a little complicated for me. I did a story like that a few years ago. It was a a woman with, I think she had ovarian or breast cancer, and the they do all sorts of tests now at the BC Cancer Agency, and the type of cancer that she had, a kidney cancer medication, there was a possibility that it could respond to the type of cancer that she had, but it was what's called off-label. It was not intended for her type of cancer, and so they would have had to give her basically special dispensation to try to see if it would work for her. And it was something crazy like $12,000 a month for no guarantee. So that story was one that, you know, she obviously wanted to us to, you know, try to help her get some profile on the story and stuff because it was an important question. But the story ended up being, um, I, I talked to a, a senior um, medical official who said, look, the system cannot support everybody trying every possible thing that could help them. And sometimes we have to make hard decisions. And so the story became about, letting people know how the system does work. And just because you're hearing about some experimental application, it does not mean it's feasible in a public health system. No, so, so no. I always want doctors to weigh in yes, for these. Yes. For uh, You know, as journalists, we're drawn towards expert opinion, right? Because we don't uh, proclaim to be experts in, in anything. We just are out there learning about stories and trying to tell them as best we can. So we need experts for everything we do. And so when someone comes to us with a medical uh, complaint or where they think that they're not being treated fairly by the system, I really want to ask the next question, which is, do they have a doctor who says that this is what they need? And if they do not, 
then I start to shy away. And so that's something that for me is a big part of the yes or no, will we cover it uh, question that we do in the early stages. If they've got a personal doctor who says, I believe that the care that's being offered by the health authority is inadequate, and I'm willing to say that on the record, now I'm leaning towards a story. Because now it's not the family versus the medical system. Every family advocates for their loved ones. Every family advocates for what I'm calling platinum care uh, or the most experimental drugs because they're desperate. But if a, if a doctor comes forward and says, yes, I've seen promise in some of the research and I do believe we should fund this this pill or this person is not getting the treatment that they need, now it's expert versus bureaucracy, not grieving family, desperate family versus bureaucracy, which is so much different as a test. And one example of medical stories that, that, that fits this sort of difficult decision process for me also are people who have injuries and they come to us and they're not getting compensation uh, from workers' comp or workplace BC. And those calls, when they come into the desk, I often shy away from them because, again, there's going to be a privacy issue. And the nature of your pain sometimes isn't something that we can quantify. It's so subjective. So well, we can't investigate and, and look into the veracity of the claims when there's a debate between medical professionals and an insurance company or whatever. How are we supposed to come down on one side of that? Well, and it gets really tricky for us because the newsroom is often the place of last resort. So we're de- dealing with the most desperate people. They in, in medical cases fits this definition to a T. It also fits the definition for other emotional cases where people have so much invested, but it's very difficult for us to tell those stories. And that would be like custody battles. Family law is, yeah. Family law is the, 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 the very, one of the most common calls we get is I can't get my kids. This judgment is unfair. Uh, this is outrageous. And the medical call is like that too often, which is my back still hurts and my compo has run out and this is outrageous go out there and tell my story and get the compensation checks coming back again because I still can't work and they don't believe me. You know, I don't like a he said, she said story. I like I like objective evidence. And so um, it's a really difficult um, little balance uh, for us, especially because, like I said earlier, I don't think the newscast can be one hard luck case after the other. You know, we're drawn towards injustice. We're drawn towards David and Goliath types of stories because I think that is something inherent to good journalism is giving a voice to the voiceless and telling stories that would not normally be told. I like the world that we play in that respect. But when the story is by definition hard to quantify, not balanced, doesn't come with real evidence, then we tend to shy away. So if you watch the news and you look at the kind of health stories you're going to see, they tend to be extreme cases. And it's not that we're just extremists in our journalistic process. That's not true. It's just that we've looked at it and said, common sense tells us this is wrong. And so I think of a story we did a couple years ago with a woman who had aged out 
of the enhanced level of care that she received as a child and she had become an adult and they reduced the care that she received for a condition that required her to constantly change bandages on her skin. Her skin was always breaking out into painful lesions. Over her entire body. It's one of the most extreme medical conditions out there. It was unbelievable and I don't know anything about her medical condition. I just looked at the pictures of this poor person in obvious pain. Her skin is clearly causing her incredible discomfort. It's constantly needing bandage changes. And we learned, and we're able to verify this was true, that the amount of hours in the day that she was going to get bandage change assistance from from a professional, from a, a home care worker, had been reduced. And so here she was trying to change her own bandages with her mom. It was so obviously outrageous that I didn't need to go in there and start looking up the medical journal. I just stared with my own eyes and said, that's obviously wrong. And so those are the kinds of stories that I don't stay awake at night wondering whether or not we should do. Um, But I do feel for the person with the more ambiguous medical case, the person who can't demonstrate how wrong it is the way that they're being treated by the healthcare authority, and when maybe there is a different, differing uh, set of medical opinions. So people who are in that gray area of medical problems and medical uh, battles with the authorities. I'm sorry for them because we do tend to shy away from those just because we we can't be sure that we're being accurate and that we're being fair. And we're also, we're not an advocacy association. So at some point we also have to say, where does it raise a really legitimate issue? And in the case of Sean Taggart in Powell River, um, his doctor has been fighting the medical system to try to get him care. So in Sean's case, he is 40 years old. He has advanced ALS. His mind is 100% there. Um, It was so humbling to be communicating with someone who the only voluntary motor function he has in his entire body is his eyes. And he was selecting from a monitor letters to be able to put together phrases, to be able to text with me over the course of 10 days we were working on the story. And his doctor even, um, I obtained a copy of the letter that he sent to Vancouver Coastal Health saying, look, this guy has spent his life savings putting together all this technology and all these monitors to be able to communicate with the outside world. He can go online, talk with other people who have ALS, all sorts of other conditions. He says he has found an ingenious way in finding ways to adapt from his disability. That is from the from the letter. He's fully competent. And so this doctor has been urging the health authority to say, look, you came up with 20 hours a day for care for this person. He clearly needs 24 He's not even capable of swallowing saliva to keep from choking to death on his own spit. Please give him another four hours of care so he can afford to stay at home in Pell River with his family, with his support group, and have the quality of life that he's poured every last cent that he had into being able to stay at home versus going to essentially an institution where he's with a group of other people. So in this case, you've got a doctor who's fighting the healthcare system on behalf of a patient living in a remote community. And I think what strikes me with this story in particular is it asks questions around If we've got the technology and the will and the system to keep somebody alive with an illness like this, do we then also have a responsibility to give them a quality of life? And I think that's what this story raises, and it's up to the public to decide how much support do we want to give someone like this. And from the comments that I've seen online, people have really engaged with this and thought about it because ALS is such a devastating disease. And the majority of comments that I've seen, people are like, I can't imagine being in that situation, so I think that he should be able to stay at home 
But then can we do that for everybody with this illness? It's just not feasible. So it's a complex medical story where a doctor's advocating for this guy so we know what the medical situation is. But then it asks us question as a community, what is an appropriate level of support for somebody with such a devastating illness? Well, and then in these ones, I, I would play devil's advocate before we decide whether or not we're going to assign these stories. And so when I'm playing devil's advocate, I'm trying to think, well, are we going to be balanced? So when you have a doctor who does say that the care being offered by the authority is inadequate, that really raises it up. So if you are looking to pitch a medical story or if you're looking for sort of a news organization to tell your, your tale, um, you should have the the medical person uh, with the MD after their name saying that the way you're being treated is is wrong. Um, but then also when I'm playing devil's advocate and sort of assessing, are we going to do this? I'm also thinking of the taxpayer. And I, I think that's important. So I, I think about every story and I try to imagine how could people criticize this story and how could people with another opinion feel that this story was not fair or not balanced. And so yeah, I have to think about the taxpayer because otherwise we would tell every hard luck story um, that came to our newsroom because I think we all accept that we've made a bit of a social contract with 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 having a universal health care system. And that, that social contract means that we are going to sometimes make hard choices. You know, when my mother was young, she, she worked at a hospital in Victoria as, you know, an administrative assistant. And she used to tell me how the cardiac surgeons every week would go through the people who needed open heart surgery and they would decide who was going to get it and who was not. And the people who were smokers, the people who hadn't changed their lifestyle and who had ignored their doctor's orders, they were put at the bottom of the list and they didn't get the heart surgery and sometimes they died. It was literally a life or death meeting. And she used to tell me about that when I was little. And I understood that that's what universal health care is. Not everyone gets the ultimate care. It has to be prioritized. So when you've got the fellow with ALS asking for four more hours a day, um, we do have to look and ask ourselves, well, what's that going to cost? And is that reasonable? Um, Because otherwise, we're just going to be doing everybody's story all day long. And at some point, I have to ask myself, well, where does the news begin? Um, And when is this more than just, it sucks to be you? And I'm really sorry this thing's happened, but it's not news. So get me the medical background that's going to support the case. Um, and then um, let's make sure that you're not asking for something that's unreasonable. And we have to make these kind of judgment calls when we decide what to cover journalistically and say to ourselves, well, I think the viewer doesn't want the healthcare system to be throwing endless amounts of money at everybody. So we kind of have to come at it with a bit of skepticism as well. But I find the decisions really, really tough. And so we do look for, you know, I guess we have to confess, we do look for the most visual cases sometimes too. You know, if... If somebody phones and says, my elderly husband is being treated in the hallways of a hospital and he's been there for a week, he still doesn't even have a proper bed, and then they take some pictures, or we've had cases where people were being treated in janitorial rooms in hospitals, that's at that point an interesting story to me because that's where I say to myself, well, hey, hang on a second. We're paying an enormous amount of taxes out of every paycheck. And every time you buy anything in this uh, town or 
pump gas or ride transit, you know, you're spending money to help this medical system and it is supposed to care for everybody uh, reasonably, a decent, dignified level of care. So we do come with that bias as journalists, which is everyone's entitled to quality, dignified health care. And if they're not getting it, then we start to say this might be a story. So the hallway healthcare stories are ones we tend to lean towards a lot as well because that there's nothing it's a amb- basic well, level nothing it's- ambiguous about someone being taken care of in a hall. Yeah. But if somebody says I need that pill or I need the, more treatment in my house, that's harder. So in your case, we we kind of ended up leaning towards it because just like you said, there was an actual doctor saying this was not reasonable cutting uh, the care or not giving him 24-7. And then when you just looked at him and met him, it was quite obvious that this was somebody who needed someone with them all hours of the day and night. So, you know, it's a real balancing act. And unfortunately, as with a lot of news stories, we shy away from the gray area, not because it's complicated, but because it's hard to be fair and it's hard to be balanced. And we're not comfortable putting stories on the air that at least aren't fair and balanced in our own estimation. These stories, too, um, you know, like you said, we approach them with a critical eye. Of course we do. But then we want to tell the story um, not just as somebody being a number, but what their experience is. And I find these stories, especially the longer you do this job, you get updates after a few years. And in stories like this, they're often not good updates. And with that story that I'd mentioned of, of the mother who'd been looking for that experimental drug and, and ended up being a story just kind of illustrating the limits of the system, um, she died a year or two later, I learned, and left behind a little daughter. And so those stories are always, you know, we always want to be impartial and, you know, fair and critical of all these things. But at the end of the day, um, it just hits you in the gut when you hear how these stories end. And it's just as for us as people, um, it can be really hard telling those stories and then hearing those updates. I mean, this woman, this mom was not much older than me. And I was just in a funk for three days after I found out because it was just there are limits to the system and there are, it's just really hard. So you just feel that um, emotionally so much more with stories that impact somebody's health, because that's something that we all struggle with or that we're all going to have at some point in our lives. So I just found that so hard. Yeah, well, that's right. So yeah, I see what you're, you're talking about now. You're kind of moving into the challenges as a reporter of telling stories that are quite literally around life and death. And that's absolutely true. That's a whole other element that makes it complicated because sometimes the people that you interview, they actually do die. And the stories that stick with me over my years reporting, um, almost all of them are involving healthcare. And one of the very first stories I ever did as a young reporter at BCTV was about a boy, and he was about 12 years old, and he loved playing hockey, and he had a very, very serious form of cancer. And Trevor Linden took him out for a night on the town and kind of took him under his wing, picked him up in a limo, took Mm. this kid out to dinner, uh, to the game, signed a bunch of gear. And it was really just a story about how Trevor Linden was, um, as he often does, going above and beyond to be a nice guy. And that was it. That was all the story was. Um, but it stuck with me. And I remember I was only in my, I was still in my 20s. And I got a call one day from his father, and the boy had died. And I really had never talked to somebody who had lost a child. I was too young myself, probably to have ever had that kind of a conversation. And here I was on the phone with a dad whose son had 
died within like a day or so of him phoning me. And he wanted to thank me for telling his son's story. And that's where I realized um, the responsibility that comes with these stories that we're doing. It's huge. They're not, they're not just issues and money uh, and conditions and diseases. They're human beings. And boy, oh boy, was that a bit of a wake up call for me that um, if you're going to get into this business and start telling these stories, it's going to get intimate uh, and it's going to get messy and it's going to get painful. Um, But sometimes you can cross into sort of helping somebody advocate. I'm always reluctant to say that we want to be advocates. I I don't like that um, label for journalists, but sometimes when you get results, it feels pretty good, you know? And I think of another story that I did where a kid had serious mobility issues and he had a terminal illness, less than a year to live. And he was in a home that um, was going to be demolished. And the home had been fitted out with ramps and everything. And they just um, got their eviction notice and they had nowhere to go. And the parents were going to um, not work for their final year because that was going to be the last year they were going to have with their with their boy. And we put the story on the news and a developer bought the house himself and said, you can live in it as long as you want and stay here and take care of your boy. And that's what he did. And he did it because he saw it on the news. And boy, did that feel good when we made that happen. So sometimes these these health stories, as much as I'm nervous about them being ambiguous and full of gray areas and, and full of subjective opinion, sometimes it can help us achieve something wonderful, which is action. And we can sometimes help right or wrong, which feels pretty good. Especially after the heartache involved with these stories. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. I'd also like to thank Gerald Christensen for his help with archival audio this week. And thank you for joining us on BTS with CTV. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover on a future podcast? Email me, bts at ctv.ca. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe for more insights, tidbits, and the stories behind the stories. I'm Penny Daphos. 